Hey everyone, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that we're doing a donation drive in the month of May here at Working Drummer Podcast. A donation on PayPal or Patreon will enter you to win some great stuff from our sponsors, including a Crush Chameleon Series Birch Snare Drum, a stick and accessory package from Vader, a set of drum heads of your choosing from Aquarian, a pair of in-ear monitors from Session Ace, the new book Beyond the Beats, Rock and Roll's Greatest Drummers Speak by Jake Brown, or a Working Drummer Podcast t-shirt. Donating 10 bucks or more on PayPal or 5 bucks a month or more on Patreon will enter you to win one of these prizes. Winners will be chosen at random on June 1st. If you donate on Patreon, this promotion includes all of the existing incentives there. Visit workingdrummer.net and look for the PayPal and Patreon buttons along the right side of the homepage. Thanks to all our participating sponsors for providing these great prizes, and thank you in advance for helping keep Working Drummer Podcast going strong. Working Drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hello, Zach Albetta here, and this is Working Drummer Podcast. Welcome. Today, my interview is with the incomparable Daphnis Prieto, who for almost 20 years has been a singular voice on the Latin jazz scene, both as a drummer and composer. He is the leader of several groups, including the Daphnis Prieto Sextet, the Proverb Trio, and his most recent project, the Daphnis Prieto Big Band, which just released Back to the Sunset, a full-length album of Prieto's original compositions. He is also the author of A World of Rhythmic Possibilities, a book that details the many aspects of his rhythmic philosophy. After a long tenure in New York, he has relocated to the Miami area, where he teaches at the University of Miami's Frost School of Music. As always, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net, where you can check out past episodes and learn more about who we are and what we're about. You can also follow us on social media and share pics and videos of your gigs on Instagram using the hashtag WorkingDrummer. We're reposting things pretty frequently there, so show us what you're up to. We'll let the world know. Lastly, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, and your ratings and reviews on those platforms are very helpful. These days, in-ear monitors are almost required equipment for working drummers. Problem is, a lot of them don't sound very good, and the ones that do are really expensive. Session Ace solves both of these problems with high-quality dual-driver ears for $99 and quad drivers for only $199. Using a hybrid design combining armature and dynamic drivers, the frequency response is as good or better than anything you'll find up to $1,000. And the accessory package that comes with every pair includes cable extensions, quarter-inch adapters, and a huge variety of ear tips so you're sure to get the right fit and feel. Matt and I have been using these ears for a few months now, putting them through the paces both live and in the studio, and I'd recommend them to any pro musician who needs full, clear sound in their ears but doesn't have a grand just laying around. I'd even recommend them to the cats who do have a grand laying around. Truthfully, I put off buying ears for a long time, and these saved me from having to drop a ton of money or getting stuck with bad sound. Visit sessionace.com slash working drummer to check them out, along with the other tools and accessories Sessionace offers. Once again, that's sessionace.com slash working drummer.
So when the opportunity to interview Daphnis came up, uh, Matthew Krauss, my partner, told me, you should do it. You know about the Latin thing. And I replied, knowing what I know about the Latin thing and interviewing Daphnis is like a guy who kind of knows about cars interviewing someone from NASA. Uh, nevertheless, I think I was able to hang with him in this talk. It was, a, it was a cool window into his unique approach to rhythm and how it manifests in his playing, in his improvisation, in his compositions, and in the overall way he approaches music. So here we go with Daphnis Prieto. First of all, thanks so much for doing this, man. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Where are you right now? I am at home in Florida. Uh, in Miami? I am north of Miami in Hollywood. It's like half an hour north of Miami. Gotcha. And and that is where uh, your your recent appointment at uh, University of Miami is, is taking place? That's right. Yeah. I've been there for like, two and a half years. It's going to be three years now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you, you came on the faculty there uh, right around the same time as John Diversa, correct? Yeah. John was there uh, maybe four or five years before me. That's actually one of the reasons I'm there also, because I actually uh, got a, into a conversation when I went to do a previously a, a residency for a week at the university. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a talk with him and, you know, I, I mentioned to him my idea of moving away from New York. And uh, and he said, well, if you ever get the, you know, the chance to come here, I, I will, you know, consider really the idea of, of having you on, on faculty. Mm-hmm in the university and we did it we made it yeah yeah uh i i knew john uh, a little bit i got to play with him on on one or two occasions when i lived in la he's great he is yeah. so great he's he's yeah. an amazing player an amazing composer a, a wonderful oh, yeah. human yeah. um and i i uh anytime <laughs> anytime his name comes up on the podcast i try and really highlight it because you know anybody mm-hmm. who's looking for some new music cool groups cool compositions mm-hmm. Um, right. Check out John Diversa for sure. And I've been trying to get his drummer, Gene Coy, on mm-hmm. the podcast uh, for, for a little while, but we're having trouble hooking up. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, so so you were you were looking to make a permanent move out of New York? Yeah. And how long were you in New York? I was in New York for 16 years. Wow. 16 years, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've almost been in the U.S. for 20. Uh-huh. I got here in in, uh, in the year 1999 mm-hmm. in, in in New York, and then I stayed there for until then. So yeah, we'll we'll get to uh, you know the the beginning of of your story in New York yeah. and and before that. But um, what what made you want to move away from New York? Well, you know the the weather really hits me bad. Mm. Uh, there is a moment, <laughs> there is a point that that I just I just can't deal with it. I mean, it just like it, it makes me feel completely restrained, like like completely like you know I could feel confined mm-hmm. by 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 the weather. The weather kind of confines me mm-hmm. in a way that, and just you know I can't just my body can't take it. My my body or my head or anything. Right, in it. right. So anyway, and and I also. Uh, yeah, well, I have more contact with nature and stuff like that. I mean, you know, I was there for a long time, and I, I you know, I played with so many people, and I could still be there, but I wasn't really playing locally anymore as I used to when I started it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was being a little bit more selective on what I was going to do in the city as well, and 
those uh, you know those presentations, th- those gigs end up being good enough to the point that I could travel from somewhere else right. to make them happen. And also at the same time, I can be more, you know, a little bit more relaxed and, uh, you know, lay back in a way that, that is not, you know, it just, uh, I mean, uh, I, I think it was a time, a good time for me to make a change. And, and I feel it that way. And I think um, also uh, getting into into the, the Frost School of Music, the University of Miami, the school, uh, you know, being able to, to, to open other doors, uh, meaning teaching other things that I was not teaching mm-hmm. in New York. Because also in New York, in New York, I taught there at, at uh, NYU right. for like 10 years, actually. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but then here I had the possibility to, 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 to make that uh, much broader and, uh, and to teach uh, other things, uh, you know, like actually conducting a big band Right. Uh, the 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 Latin jazz uh, orchestra, mm-hmm. and also I have an ensemble, and I teach composition as well, and I teach a, a course that I created. is entitled uh, It's called uh, Remix Synchronicity. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. That's that's a yeah. fascinating idea for for a course, and just a fascinating idea in general. Yeah. Um, talk talk a little bit about what rhythm synchronicity is and and what that class uh well, entails it's, it's very it's basically based on um on how to really synchronize with each other when we are in the bandstand mm-hmm. rhythmically speaking so that you know you get a good groove first of all and then and then you have the possibility of really developing some rhythmic structures and things that you know makes uh, the whole uh, ensemble playing and the quality of, of the, the, the rhythmic quality of any performance, um, you know, change to a different level to be much more vibrant. And, and but not only that, but in a sense, uh, uh, you know, much more control of, of of what is happening and and awareness of what is happening in mm-hmm. terms of composition as well. So, I mean, you know, I train I train them you know, to the different claves, to different rhythms, to different syncopations, which is basically a lot has to do. I mean, most of the guys, they know how to, you know, keep a beat. Mm-hmm. But then whatever happens between those beats is the most important part of it. Because anyway, this is a long story because um, I, I, I made my students also aware that there is a different way of looking at rhythm in relationship with it, their pulse. And with their beats, mm-hmm. one way is the regular way, which uh, we've been taught and, and we have learned that way for so many years, which is that th- there is a pulse, and then we uh, add a rhythmic pattern on top of that pulse. Mm-hmm. So my, I through the years I've been able to, you know, meditate meditate on this and think that. There is also another way of looking at it, which is, is the rhythm the one that dictates where the pulse is. Hmm. So it's the manipulation of the rhythmic contents where it dictates where that pulse is. And that pulse is definitely, uh, at some point, uh, flexible, which is a good thing in my case, mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't really uh, like the idea of, of something that rigid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So to me, that second strategy or way of looking at it, it really, uh, you know, make a much m- more broader sense of, of how you can manipulate the whole thing, the rhythm and the pulse. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> uh, in, any, in any case, uh, you know, going back into the rhythmic synchronicity class, yeah. uh, you know, I encourage them to really... Uh, you know, do a lot of syncopation exercises and independence exercises. Some of the, we go through some of the chapters of, of my book, mm-hmm. uh, A World of Rhythmic Possibilities. And we do some of those uh, exercises. We play the clave and we sing uh, some other patterns. And, you know, we do a lot of those independence exercises for them uh, to start experiencing synchronicity within themselves. Right. And so, so if I'm, if I'm understanding you right, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, reverse, reverse engineering, uh, the pulse out of rhythmic content and rhythmic, uh, interpretation. Like you said, we, you know, we're taught that we start with a pulse and we put a rhythm Mm -hmm. over that. Um, but, but you're talking about starting with the rhythm, looking at the rhythmic content and the rhythmic interpretation and, and letting that determine mm-hmm. determine the yep. pulse yep. interesting um so in in your class uh and in your book is do you do you primarily deal with this idea in in like an afro-cuban or latin jazz uh context or um yeah like, i do it i do it through my own playing there is an example in the last in the last chapter of the book uh, uh perception and awareness and awareness of rhythm mm-hmm. um that it, that it goes into that um, into that subject and I analyze that and I actually play it. There there are some samples. Uh, at the end, it, it ends up being that you can choose whatever rhythmic structure you want. Mm-hmm. But really, uh, uh, you know, you start manipulating the pulse to the point that it, it, it creates an a, an elasticity. And that elasticity depends up to you. You can really. It's almost very similar to the. Uh, to the ritardando, mm-hmm. accelerando, you see? It's almost very similar. But the difference is that with this one, it could be a continuum, meaning that it, you can do it uh, cycling. It You don't necessarily have to stop, you know, uh, doing it. Right. So, I mean, it, it creates different shapes. I mean, it's... it's, it's um, uh, I like the you word. Know. I like the word shapes. Like as as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about your playing and and especially your your improvisation and your soloing. Um, it, my my uh, take on it or my perception of it is is that you you deal in in phrases. Like you don't deal in coordination. You don't deal in licks. You deal in like phrases and statements and shapes. Um, mm-hmm. And and rather than uh, you know try to come up with new content, your your improvisation and your exploration comes up with new ways to sort of interpret or present, you know, existing content and relatively simple content a lot of the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I think um, you know I mean uh, to me, and that's 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 specifically the core of of the book. The world of rhythmic possibilities, because my idea behind it, and the idea of what I do many times when I play, uh, the strategy that I follow is to try to do as much as I can with with the little information. And you know, sometimes it just seems to be 
coming from somewhere else, but it's really dealing with uh, the same uh, remix contents in a different situation with a different subdivision or with all this place or, uh, in, you know, in, from a perception, from, from pers- a perspective that, that, um, that it might seem something different. Mm-hmm. So it creates a remake illusion in that way. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I really give a lot of, um, value to, to really be economically about, you know, what to do because you can exploit some more, you know, just, just, you know, when we play, I like to see it as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. When you play, you're, you're creating a, a path from the beginning to an end of that playing that you're doing. It's like an act. Mm-hmm. You're doing an act. So, so uh, you know, artistically, uh, the, the, the overall of it should be to keep that, you know, with as much integrity as possible, the whole thing, in compositionally speaking. Right, right. I mean, the technique and stuff like that is a way to get there, but I don't focus on that when I sit on the drums. I don't actually do it that, that often even now when I... When I, whenever I have the time to um, to go and, and, and practice some drums uh, here at, at home uh, or elsewhere, um, you know, I don't have the time to really practice all those exercises as I used to and stuff like that. I just go and it's funny because now I I sit on the drums to practice or to play. I don't even call it practice anymore. It's just play. Right. But because I start playing then that leads me into practicing. Mm-hmm. It's like every time that I play, you know, certain things, I say, oh, my goodness, look at how much stuff is here. And then I go in and then I start, you know, getting the technique good for that, to get prepared for that idea. And, and then, you know, it's a, in the in in end up being a, a big tree with a with huge branches. Right, right. I've I've long been a, a firm believer that that no matter what instrument you play, your your technique uh, should should be a, a slave to you know to the music, to interpretation, to phrasing, mm-hmm. to statements, to all mm-hmm. that. And and that's that's definitely evident in your playing. And I liked what you said about. Um, you know, exploiting, like fully exploiting all of your ideas. I think, I mm-hmm. think a lot of drummers and musicians make the mistake of, of, um, like if they've, you know, if they've hit a wall or if they've kind of plateaued, they feel like they need to develop new technique or new content. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, they, a lot of times they haven't fully explored and exploited, um, all the ways that they can use their existing tools and their existing yeah. skills. That's right. Um, I had mm-hmm. a student uh, uh, yesterday, it was an, an adult student, uh, taking a lesson with me for the first time, and, and he had kind of hit this wall. Um, and, uh, you know, something something as simple as playing like an eighth note groove uh, and opening the hi-hat on, on mm-hmm. one of the beats. Um, mm-hmm. Like he hadn't, you know, he had figured out how to open the hi-hat before the snare on the back beat. Mm-hmm. Um, but he hadn't, he hadn't like moved that open hi-hat around <laughs> in the right. measure. Like it just hadn't occurred to him. Um, so yeah, something as simple as that. Um, you know, I, I, I encourage other drummers and I, I try to keep myself honest about like, have I, have I really used everything I have under my hands now That's right. in all the ways that I can.
example of, uh, it might be hard if you're not sitting at the drum set there, but, um, you know, a, a, a way that um, this could apply to, you know, the clave rhythm or like what you were talking about, you know, re- reverse engineering it using a rhythm to find the pulse. Uh, for me, for example, if I think of, let's say, uh, you know, just on the top of my head, if I think of a medium tempo Latin Cuban uh, uh, subdivision, I mean, we have to talk also about the subdivision, which is, to me, the most important part of all of it. Mm-hmm. The way you subdivide things, even though you're not thinking about that, but that might come up to you uh, consciously or unconsciously. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, and for example, it could be something like this. So if I do that like that, I'm not really thinking in the polls. Mm-hmm. The policy has been dictated by the by the rhythm that I'm playing because and I'm playing it with such a uh, carefulness in a way that everything is, um, you know, there, there is a, um, a a repetition that 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 gives you that sense of a structure, mm-hmm. and then and then and then you have that that pulse uh, as a consequence of it. But right. I'm not thinking in the polls first, right? And either either when I'm playing the clave, uh, I'm not thinking in the clave. The clave is there. It's not something to think about. It's too late when you start thinking about it. It's too late, <laughs> right? That 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 process of thinking about it has to be done a while while back. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, mean I I totally heard and felt what you were talking about because you didn't like you didn't count it off. You didn't you sing the clave first. You just started that phrase, that statement, and and almost right away, I was feeling I was feeling the pulse right. out of that rhythm. You didn't see me, but I was like sitting here grooving. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it, but you know the thing the thing with that is that you know uh, I that's I to me that's a that's a very interesting approach, and I think subconsciously we all also do because you know when you when you're going to play let's say that you're going around in a bus and you're looking at some trees and you're thinking you know oh this nice rhythm and you start playing a rhythm do you really count for do you really do you really think about the pulse or do you just want to play that rhythm right i think i i think this idea of 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 the of 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 you know, even African, which is, you know, our motherland, rhythmically speaking, mm-hmm. I would say, for many of us, um, you know, they don't count. They don't go to a, to a tribe in Africa and they say, okay, guys, let's play one, two, three. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They actually will give you, you know, maybe a call, which is completely in a rubato thing, meaning a lib. Mm-hmm. With no with no rhythm at first, he will give you a call. Let's say, and the other one say, and the other one say, and the other one say, and then the 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 
and then the the uh, um, a clave player or, or a cowboy player starts so and they're off it is, it is really is yeah this is where yeah the pulse is there yeah but that's not it right, the, right. yeah the, yeah we all dance into that but the, there's so much stuff going on yeah and as as i'm thinking about this like i'm i'm realizing that people people who are not musicians are a lot of them are really capable of of like singing or clapping or feeling really complex rhythms mm-hmm. without knowing what those rhythms are or without you know really knowing how they fit over a pulse mm-hmm. um like you said but yeah i'm realizing that in like in most cases the rhythm comes first that's what people relate to and the pulse yeah. is is established out of that mm-hmm. that's really mm-hmm. cool yeah so anyway that's a uh... That's a fun thing to, and you know, you can see that over traditional, many traditional, uh, you know, very uh, important uh, rhythmic cultures in the world. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I saw that and experienced that uh, closely, you know, in the music where I come from, from Cuba, mm-hmm. which has, you know, a, a very uh, uh, developed and complex and in-depth uh you know, situation when it comes to rhythmic, um, you know, syncopation and and to the development of, of a different, you know, groove and, and possibilities in, in that case. Right. Uh, and also, you know, rhythm from India and from Indonesia mm-hmm. uh, and different different other places. And obviously from Africa, the, the vast amount of, of, of uh, different, uh, you know, you know, rhythmic cultures that they have there. like to to grow up there and and what was your uh, early musical training there well when i was a kid about when i was like about six or seven i became you know much more aware of of of, of music start getting you know driven by music and i was born in a and and raised in a in a musical neighborhood it was kind of a poor neighborhood in santa clara Cuba, mm-hmm. and um I I was surrounded by music and many times by musicians. No one is in my family is actually a musician hmm. or or artist of any kind. But uh, but I was surrounded that so I used to sneaking into people's houses to hear their rehearsals. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's a different environment. It's not like like people, you know, people there live with the open doors and windows, so it's right. it's not that difficult to sneak in. <laughs> so right. um, you know. Yeah, and uh, also uh, the the carnival music was used to rehearse very close to my house, and and you know, and I and I started going to a, a cultural house in the center of of the 
of the four kids in the center of the of the province of the of the city, mm-hmm. Santa Clara. And then when I then when I was ten years old, I started uh, in the, the school of fine arts doing classical training, music, classical music, and I did percussion, classical percussion. Hmm. Uh, and this is like a national school, right? This is well, a, this one is is the 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 one from the province that takes like two or three provinces. That's the first one that I went on from ten to fourteen. Mm-hmm. Then I went to Havana, which is the national school of, of music, mm-hmm. is in Havana, and I did that when I was from fourteen to eighteen. Okay, years old. And Stud- then, studying yeah. classical percussion that whole time. Classical percussion, yeah. But within the school already, even when I was uh, about 10 or 11, I already started playing drums on my own. Right. Uh, because they really were not uh, teaching me that there. In fact, I ended up just being self-taught because I, I haven't really received any drum lessons. Right. And that's something else I was curious about. Like, despite, um, you know, you, you ended up... Uh, primarily a, a drum set player um, mm-hmm. despite the, the the Cuban tradition of congas and timbales and, and all that and despite your your classical training um, how how and when uh, did did the drum set become it for you yeah well it's interesting I, I there was a band uh, and I particularly you know think that that's the my earliest and most uh, fundamental memory that I have of, of someone playing drums it was a um, there used to be a, a big band uh, in Santa Clara named Orquesta de Musica Moderna. Mm-hmm. And they used to play charts for like Mina Ferguson and Heavy Hancock and, you know, all this uh, jazz band charts. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, there was a drummer named Juan Carlos Rojas and his nickname is El Peje. Mm-hmm. And he's from Santa Clara also. And, you know, he, he actually was the drummer of the band, and he he he's a great drummer, uh, and, and mostly for that kind of setting. And at that time, you know, he so I I guess because I saw him play, and then little by little I start you know researching of, of what that is and, and looking more into drums and stuff like that. Um, but I think he was one of my first um, influence that I can recall that that really you know helped me to to look at drums a little bit more deeply. Mm-hmm. That, you know, and then and then uh, that was it. That was that was the beginning of it. Hmm. I, yeah. And uh, I wanted to ask you about your uh, your your setup because for for someone so um, you know deeply rooted in in the Afro Cuban tradition, um, <laughs> you you play a very conventional uh, drum set. I don't I don't see you doing a whole lot of like the left foot clave thing. Mm-hmm. Um, was was there a time when uh, you were like watching El Negro or something, and and you know trying to uh, translate all that stuff onto the left foot clave and and things that he was doing? No. Well, um, well, here's the thing. You know that you play the clave on the left foot, it doesn't make you more or less, uh, you know, uh, Cuban or because that's just the way you do it. Mm-hmm. The rhythm itself, you play in it either way, or you choose not to. It doesn't really. Uh, but that that you play the left foot clave doesn't mean that you're that you're from Cuba or you're more Cuban than anyone. 
Right. This I think that's like, an that's an American perception. I know that's an American completely. That's an American perception of it, and, and it has nothing to do with it. Right. Um. Um. So I mean, no, that's just a, a way. I mean, when I met, when I learned or or, or I realized that way of playing the clave, the left foot, and stuff like that, I was already playing the clave my way. So I feel comfortable with it, and I already found a path of how to do things my way uh, by doing it the way I was doing it. Uh, so I didn't really... Uh, I mean, sometimes when I play like a slow tempo things, I, I might imply the, the clave right. I had or something like that, but it's, it's completely an, more an embellishment than anything else. Right. I, I don't really pay attention to that. Like, that's, that, that doesn't really... Uh, I mean... You know, technically, you can credit the idea of playing the left clave with with whatever you want. With I mean, with the the clave with your left foot or with your right hand or the left hand or the right feet or with an eye, <laughs> but it doesn't really matter at the end because because to me, what most important is the way it sounds. Right, right. Um, and that's what it matters. Then, then to me. Whether you play it one way or another is completely uh, up to you, and it's a choice, and it's fine. But it's like someone now starts playing it with the right foot. So mm-hmm. now everyone is going to go to the right foot, and then you play with the left hand, and everyone is but you choose, just use the way you want to, and, you know, um, it's all good, you know. And I, I think something you mentioned earlier um, speaks to this, which was basically like, you know, the, the, the clave rhythm, can be present in everything you play without without being overtly, um, you know, Evidence. banged out with with one limb or another. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you use if you use that rhythm as as kind of a framework to to build your groove or to improvise or whatever, and, and you know, as I'm thinking about your playing, um, you know, I, I'm realizing not only not only do you not do the left foot clave thing, but like you said, you you don't overtly play the clave rhythm. Very much, mm-hmm. but it's always present in in mm-hmm. playing. Um, mm. So is that? Um, I, I would imagine that's something that your your book deals with and and your classes deal with how to kind of implant you know the the clave rhythm into what you do without overtly playing it. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, you can you can you can. There are so many strategies, so many different strategies of 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 using. Uh, rhythms and drumming as a, in, in a vocabulary that it doesn't have to be that evidence or, you know, I mean, we get rhythms and drumming could be as deep as, as, as just, you know, a, a, a piano concerto mm-hmm. or anything like that. We just, we have to do it because, uh, you know, I just like that. I like that, that drumming can take you to places that, that uh, that will break that that idea of 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 just being a timekeeper. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I like the idea of using the drums uh, with with a, a vocabulary, a rhythmic vocabulary, and a melodic vocabulary in it that will enhance the you know the content of what you play. Even even the word rhythm seems to get small when we're talking about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, this reminds me of, of um, another sort of uh, 
narrative or, or whatever that I've noticed in um, in Afro-Cuban music, and, and your playing, kind of preparing for this interview, made me think of it. Um, in in the jazz tradition, uh, it, it started out as uh, you know a dance-based music, a song-based music, and eventually it uh, evolved into more of a, a compositional and expressionistic um, genre. And interestingly enough, the the same thing kind of happened with with uh, tango music in Argentina. It started out as a dance tradition, and as it evolved, you know, composers and musicians took it to a, a non-dance place. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I feel like the same thing is is happening in in Afro-Cuban music, especially with your playing and your compositions. It's you know mm-hmm. it's probably happening later than the jazz thing and the the uh, tango thing. Um, but as you were just talking, I was I was imagining like you know the difference between playing uh, like a swing beat on a hi hat versus what Elvin Jones did, you know, <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or what Tony Williams did like that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that swing beat is, is still in there. It's still implied. Um, mm-hmm. but they're not, you know, they've, they've built on it and almost left it behind. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's what, that's what you're playing and your compositions are doing with the clave. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I uh, you know, I like that kind of approaching because I like the approach of, of making music. That's for me. The, the first approach is making music and then and then the rest of that you know those all, all ideas of keeping the hi-hat in two and four and and these are all technicalities that that are there that has been there that you can break it that has been broken mm-hmm. and uh but the overall of it it has to do with how you do it right how does it sound the rest of it is just uh, um, tools they're just tools. Right. It's the same with the vocabulary. You might you might know all your ABC, but you don't know what to do with your words. And 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 it's still, then even if you know the ABC, even upside down and backwards, uh, you can recite them. You know all the ABCDEFG until the end, and then backwards, and then from the middle, to, and then but you when you're gonna you know talk in in in, in with someone else and and. And, and say a sentence, then right. you're having trouble with it. And, right. and that's, that's what music is, is that sentence. It's one thing to know how to spell. It's it's another thing to be able to construct a beautiful yeah. sentence and a beautiful paragraph. A, and Yeah, there is, I mean, in, in that way, as a performer, uh, there, is a, there is an extra activity that happens there, and I like to call it the power of giving. Mm. And that giving is really that uh, ability that you create one way or another. Many times it comes very intuitively. Many other times, uh, you know, obviously you have to work on it even if, when it's intuitively mm-hmm. at some point. Otherwise, it just stay in a very, uh, you know, primary zone. Um, but then, you know, you just have to work on it. This is a, your vocabulary through sound.
you came to New York in 1999. Yes. At this point, you're how old? 25. Okay, and what what pointed your your path to to New York? It's very interesting. Uh, I um, I I went actually out of Cuba. I went to Spain. Oh, I just traveled to a few places. I actually came to the U.S. before that. I came to the U.S. when also when I was 23 to Stanford University, and I went to New York as well. Mm-hmm. And to tell you the truth, I didn't really. It wasn't really my cup of tea. I, I think it was too big for me, too uh, too overwhelming for me at that time. Yeah. Uh, so I, even in New York, mostly. Uh, and then when I uh, so then I went back to Cuba, and and then I, in a trip to Spain, I decided to stay in Spain, and uh, and I stayed in Barcelona for a year and a half or so. Then I, an invitation to do some concerts in Canada through a saxophonist uh, uh, named Jane Bunet. She invited me to to go to Canada to do some concerts and the the U.S. And then I came. Um, But when I I finished that tour with her that I wanted to go back to Spain, they actually denied my visa for for a whole year for some reason that I still don't know. it was not really a, a reason um, because I had actually my papers that I was actually uh, already in the process of, of doing uh, the residency mm-hmm. in Spain. But anyway, that went on and kind of led me to think that, that the best way to move and to go next it was to, for me to go to New York. And that was actually a lot of my friends were saying that to me. I wasn't that much, uh, you know, convinced yet. Right. Uh, even when I went there for the first time, I mean, for, for that time, in, ni- in 99, when I went and I stayed there in New York, mm-hmm. I went from Toronto. And uh, anyway, I mean, you know, that was that. Was that. That's, uh, that's how I, I, got, I got into into New York in 1999. So moving to New York and, and trying to break into that scene um, is daunting enough for for any young musician um but you you came at it from the perspective of someone who's you know not only a young musician trying to establish themselves in new york but from the perspective of an immigrant someone who's new you know a new resident to the united states um Um, yeah so different in so many different ways yeah right so what were i mean what were the first couple years there like from from that perspective? oh my goodness um it was it was uh you know, I had a lot of a lot of things. You know, it was scary, and it was very exciting at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I had I had uh, at the same time that it was exciting. Sometimes I had my doubts of is this the right thing to do? Right, right. <laughs> when I started carrying my drums in the snow and in the cab <laughs> by myself, and everybody left the club, and I am by myself trying to get a drums on top of the. You know, in in the cab, and the cab driver is not is not helping me out. Right. <laughs> so so you know, like, and and that's only to put it there. Then when I get home, I have to do the same thing, and you know, the full drums and the whole thing. And you know, anyway, it's fun. It was fun. I mean, you know, um, I did what I had to do, and 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 I and to tell you the truth, there was also always something in me that it helped me to move on. Also, the people around me, you know, the musicians, they, they, we all wanted to do something. 
and we were doing it and we were trying to you know gig as much as possible and try to make a living mm-hmm. and also try to play what we really want to play and you know so so it was a combination of that and and, and I, I by the at the time that I went to New York in 99 uh, at that time, there was a very nice, uh, you know, scene also there happening, and some clubs that I used to play, like the Zinc Bar, mm-hmm. I used to play there a lot, and, and I used to meet uh, a lot of musicians that used to hang out there and stuff like that, and I make connections there, and you know, playing around, you know, with different. Uh, I also uh, start doing a wide range of, of of things, not only playing you know, Latin stuff or jazz things. Right. I was going to, I was going to ask, did you find yourself on some gigs that, uh, you, you didn't, uh, <laughs> you didn't think you'd find yourself on because you needed that hundred bucks? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Many times, many times I did weddings and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I play weddings. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, um, but it's all part of the thing, and we play in the New Year's Eve also. Mm-hmm. That was the most making money day for right. us at, at that time. Right. Uh, and um, yeah, and then you know it's all a, a process. It's, it's, a, it's a long, it's a long process of, of so many different events and so many different performances and meeting other people that will connect you with someone else, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what I was saying is that. Uh, at some point, I was doing a wide range of of different kind of gigs. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I started doing some, you know, I was doing some lat more Latin stuff, even with the Caribbean Jazz Project, and also with Michel Camilo, right, and also with uh, Eddie Palmieri, and but then also other other more adventurous or more, you know avant-garde music like Henry Tregel or Steve Coleman mm-hmm. or, you know, playing with Andrew Hill and just, just doing so many different uh, other kind of um, uh, of music. So that, that really helped me to also, you know, broaden the possibilities in terms of, of, of working. Right. Right. And I would imagine the, um, you know, the, the, the process of, of doing fewer gigs that you had to do and more gigs that you wanted to do um, mm-hmm. was, was fairly gradual, yes? Oh, yeah. At the beginning, I just had to take everything. Right, right. I whatever think there's pace. a... Sorry, go ahead. No, whatever pace. And then little by little, you start getting more, you know, picky about it and more, you know, selective about what you really want to do because because you want to use that all the time in something that you're building up or whatever you might want to do. Right. So it's very important to be smart about that because you can get really kind of trapped in the idea of just, you know, the routine of just playing, 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 and then, uh, you know, it might suck you in in a way that, you know, you start... I mean, there are different uh, people. Some other people don't mind, and this is not a, a bad or a good thing. It's just what right. You're you're like. someone who had a creative drive to yeah. So I needed I needed time. So I wanted to basically, you know, little by little, develop this whole process to the point that I that I I got the possibility to be more selective. Right. Right. And and then and then um, use my time. Or, the rest of the time to be creative and do my what I wanted to do in terms of 
you know, writing music and whatever projects I wanted to do, etc. Right. I think there's a, a misconception, um, especially among younger players, um, uh, where, you know, you, you hustle, you take all the gigs you can, you do all the gigs that come your way, and one day you get you get a break you like you finally get on the kind of gig that you've been wanting and then after that beyond that point you don't play any other kinds of gigs it's just like you know <laughs> you kind of reach that level and you stay there um but uh i you know i've i've come to realize that like you said it's it's a much more gradual process um mm-hmm. it requires um you know intentionality and and actually saying no to some stuff you want to do. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, even if, even if you do get to, um, you know, the, the level that you want to be at or the kind of gig that you want to play or the, you know, that band or that artist that you want to play with. Um, a, a lot of times, you know, players are kind of moving up and down between these strata. Like, you know, this mm-hmm. week I get to go on tour with this cool ass band. Next week I'm playing a wedding. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, this is, this is, this is like life itself reality for, for, um, for all of us, it might be different. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same, you know. Uh, it's the same way when it comes to strategies of, of what you want to do. Also has to do with your personality. Also has to do with what you want to do. There are drummers that they just happy playing the Beatles songs right. for the rest of their life. Right. <laughs> and this is fine. I mean, you know, someone has to do it, and or someone doesn't have to do it. it doesn't really matter. I mean, at the end of the run, we just. You know, we're just here for for a certain amount of time on this planet, and and we basically, you know, uh, should do as much as we can what we like to do and what is meaningful to us, mm-hmm. and and what it makes us, you know, wake up the next day and and be happy about it and, and move on and you know and enhance and do all these things. So yeah, this... you know, everyone has different different ways of of seeing that. And therefore, you know, there are different kind of drummers, different kind of musicians, and different values to all of that. Right. This this reminds me of something um, that you said in uh, your your video. There was like a, a, a video that uh, University of Miami made kind of introducing the faculty, and they did a, a little feature on you. And you said... Um, you know, I can I can give students the tools they need, but I I can't. You know, it's it's up to them to de- determine why they want to be a musician. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. they what they want to do as a musician and and why they want this life in music. Um, yeah, I because think, I mean, you know, musician these days, uh, maybe in, in in all ages also. I, I I don't know. I wasn't there in you know previously, but. You know, it, it takes courage. You need to have courage. You need to be uh, smart. You cannot be a lazy. Like, you cannot afford to have a, a lazy mentality because you're going to sink. Mm-hmm. So you have to be proactive in terms of, of your own perception of of the circumstances that you're dealing with in order to survive. Right, right. Um, and, you know, develop develop some some clear goals for yourself, yeah. not not just in terms of the kind of gigs you want to play, but like how you want to approach music. Do you want to take mm-hmm. do you want to you know, do you have this creative drive to create original compositions mm-hmm. or or are you more of a craftsman? Do you want to be the you know, the hired gun that can do anything? Um, mm-hmm. And right. I think I think young students can can, you know, 
spend more time thinking about that stuff because I think a lot of us get out of college and we have all these tools, but we're not really sure. We're still not sure what kind of musician we are. Um, and you know, that's, that is a long path. That's a long journey to find that out. But but (laughs) I I think it's never too early to start. Oh yeah. No. Well, what happens to me specifically, and I can only talk for my experience, uh, is, uh, you know, I started getting aware of all that kind of things early age when I was early because I started playing early. Um, when I was, you know, 17 or 18, I was already playing in professional bands and, and touring. Actually, I went to like France when I was like 18 for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was already playing at, you know, festivals and stuff like that. So, so it kind of helped me out to see, uh, me and in perspective, you know, with, in different with different perceptions, right? Uh, you know, and and seeing other people's, you know, the way they they did things, you know, mm-hmm. other musicians in, in the rest of the world. So, where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com. Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. I want to talk about the, the various groups that you uh, lead and, and have led over the years. Um, and uh, the, the one that's... Uh, most prominent right now is this is this big band um mm-hmm. are you about to release the record or did it just release the record was released in uh april uh 6th okay um, so the first week of april a month ago uh, it's gonna be a month soon it's gonna be what uh, a month oh right it's okay a month yeah it has been a month uh it was released and um and we really i'm really pleased with it i'm really happy the way it came out yeah, talk about talk about that that project and and what made you want to uh, take that on because it's the it's the the first big band album you've done. You've done many records as a leader yeah. with groups of different types and sizes, but this mm-hmm. is a full on big band. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I wrote for big band uh, previously um, uh, a few a few uh, things, and I liked it, and then I wanted to to do my own. Uh, full album of that so I've been thinking about it for, for a few years already and then uh, um, there is a producer um, uh, named Eric Obernstein and he called me a year and some ago and he said I wanted to do something with you what would you like to do and at that moment I say if I have someone to help me out to do something that would be for this big thing that I've been having in the back of my mind for a while <laughs> And, uh, and and that was it. And I told him, let's do a big band since he also knew, uh, you know, the logistics and how it worked because he had previously worked with a Arturo Farrell big band. Mm-hmm. 
and then I knew he he had some knowledge on, on, on how to move that and happen. So we did we did we we got uh, uh, the plan together and we start doing a fundraising. We did a fundraising, um, and then and we, we raised the money and. Uh, did you do like Kickstarter or, or crowdfund of some no, sort? No, we do it. We do it on yeah, but we do it on our own terms. Mm-hmm. We didn't do it uh, through Kickstarter. We did it on our own terms, uh, reaching out people, and we set up an uh, you know a basic uh, place where people can donate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was about it. Um, hmm. We made it. We made it that way. And um, and we're still, you know, campaigning in a way. The record went out, but you know, we're still like trying to deal with, you know, so much expense and things like that. That the, that the record itself and the whole, you know, promotion of it and what it takes, right? You know, yeah, to make things around. But it has been a great experience, and uh, and I'm really happy with uh, how everything came out. The, the music sounded really amazing. Yeah, it does. Really top notch. Uh, um, you know, players, um, and, and, and I, I'm really happy with the, with how everything came out. You know, did uh, did the the medium of the big band um, stretch you or uh, you know change your approach either either compositionally or or playing wise? Well, there is always so much to learn in any of this process, even when you're going big or when you're going small. Mm-hmm. Something must be done. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but in this case, yes, of course, um, I've learned a lot from doing the, the compositions and the arrangements mm-hmm. of, of, of for a bigger uh, configuration as, as the, the big band and, and you know uh, so many other different possibilities and you know, so many techniques and strategies behind the the, the composition and the arranging of, of these songs and of course uh, you know the playing also. That enhances. I always think that, you know, I mean, if I if I get much more knowledgeable or aware in my composition, that will enhance my drumming mm-hmm. and vice versa. Right. Because I'm just one. I'm just I'm just the one, you know, that is that is either delivering or, uh, you know, uh, getting that information into myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm just one person that that is basically, uh, you know, doing all that. So that influenced me back and forth. Right, and we've—I mean—we've talked about uh, big band drumming quite a bit on the podcast and interviewed, you know, a couple drummers who who specialize in it and and just talked about, um, you know, in in the American tradition of big band, um, <laughs> what a what a unique drumming role. Um, the big band is. Did you um, uh, did you kind of prepare or or study um, you know big band drumming as as we know it in the states in any way in in preparation for this record? Or did, did you kind of more uh, mold your your big band compositions around your style of drumming? Well, you know, it's a definite. You know, you cannot be as uh, you know you have a certain responsibility to a bigger. Uh, format and where you know playing a specific arrangements and, and most of them they have remix stuff that needs to be tied and and, and you know certain so many different um, sections and right and things uh, that kind of uh, you know put you 
in, in a very specific place, musically speaking, where you're the one that is responsible to, you know, always hit that that thing. So it helps the whole full other 16 musicians to make it. Right. Um, but that's a general thing. That's I don't think that's, I mean, it has been encrypted, obviously, in in the so-called, uh, you know, big band drumming, obviously, because it's, it's, it's something that is that is there, you know, mm-hmm. it's a kind of kind of fail. It falls by default in a way. Right. That responsibility, uh, you know, that's, it's, it, you know, I always will say, this, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's funny, you, you know. There are some drummers that, that play with a certain precision that is much more efficient for that kind of setting, for example, mm-hmm, right. than others that that doesn't have that uh, that approach of, of being precise. But you know, it has other faculties, other other you know uh, you know um, ways of doing their thing. Uh, for me, my experience, I didn't really like like I've been. I mean, I I know big band. Uh, I mean. I'm a big fan of Body Rich, and, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, and but you know I like I like other uh, big band drummers like like Papa Joe Jones and yeah yeah and and anyway anyway there are there are many of them but my point is no I didn't do any research I just I just see this as an extension of myself uh, at this at, I know of them and I always have known them for many years so it's not like I have to to do a deeper, uh, you know, into it because my music also relates different, uh, to what I have to play on my own. Yeah. uh, I liked what you said about, about transitions in the music. Um, I, I interviewed Steve Fittick a few months ago. Um, and, and he talked about, you know, one of the roles of the big band drummer is to make these transitions happen smoothly. Like the drumming content needs to be Mm -hmm. what, what weaves two sections of music together oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I I like that that, uh, kind of leapt to mind for you, um, immediately. Um, because, you know, yeah, but to me it's a little bit, uh, you know, I will say maybe a little bit more specific, just because I'm the one that writes the music, so I, I right. know the music. I don't have to really do a bigger effort right. to, to put a different kind of shoes or whatever you want to put. Mm-hmm. Because it's my it's, it's my music, so I write it and then and then kind of own it in a way. I mean, I, I don't have to, to do a huge effort. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the closest person to that music that it could be, so it's right. different. And when you have to learn someone else's music and then put yourself in their uh, perception in terms of, of how to fulfill that, uh, that that is needed in the music, you know. Right. And I would imagine that's, you know, kind of comes naturally for you because you're, I think your playing style and your composition style draw from the same ethos which is mm-hmm. you know take take simple phrases take clear phrases and and uh you know mess with them <laughs> for mm-hmm. for lack yeah. of a better term so mm-hmm. you know your your melodic content um even even though it might be in an odd meter or you know manipulated in some way a mm-hmm. lot of it is uh, like it almost sounds like a song it sounds like yeah. it, c- it could be a melody from buena vista social club and mm-hmm. it's it's put in this different context um mm-hmm. but when when you really break it down like they're they're really songful melodies mm-hmm. 
Thank you so much for uh, for taking this hour with us, and uh, best of uh, best wishes on the on the release of this record. It seems like it's doing well. Yeah, I mean, you know, for those who are interested, they can always you know go to my website, which is the the DaphneSongMusic.com. Mm-hmm. We'll put up links for that on, yeah, the, on the episode and they, page, and yeah, and with that, you know, there's there's a lot of information there, you know, stuff and videos they can watch and stuff like that for free. Yeah, we'll we'll post some of that because there's great videos of the the other groups that you lead, including yeah. uh, the Proverb Trio and the, and the Sextet and and all that. Um, so yeah, we'll definitely include that. Uh, thank you, thank you so much again, man. It was great talking to you. My pleasure. My pleasure. The same here. Thank you. Did that blow your mind? It blew mine all the way open. This guy is really operating on another level when it comes to speaking the language of rhythm and music. Just a total wizard. I enjoyed talking with him. Hope you dug that. Go check out his new big band album and the other projects he leads uh, and his book as well. There's a ton to dig into there. Once again, May is donation month. PayPal and Patreon buttons are on the right side of our homepage at workingdrummer.net and donating enters you to win some great stuff from Crush, Vader, Aquarian, Session Ace, and that cool new book by Jake Brown. Big thanks to all those sponsors. We really appreciate their support and we would love to have yours as well. Come on back next week for Matt Krause's interview. Thanks as always to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.